Well, you guys sound great today. And again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, all of you parents out there, you could just get a sense of the challenge that we face these days. Grandparents, parents, uh, women in our lives who influence us, we uh, honor you. You know, we've been studying St. Peter, this first epistle that he wrote in the ancient world. Um, we don't know anything about his mother, but we do know a little bit about his mother-in-law. Jesus healed her in Galilee of uh, fever. Uh, Jesus is honoring mothers in that. And then Peter, in this letter, as we'll see shortly, he writes, long for the pure spiritual milk. And it's a metaphor that, that puts uh, us in the place of a, of a newborn infant, craving, longing for the good news of the gospel. And it's an image of how our mothers um, nurture and grow us, not just physically, but a good mother will, will grow us in the faith so that we can come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So moms, we honor you and we thank you. I asked Pastor Susanna what I should say to the church about mothers this week for Mother's Day, and she said, just say, be nice. <laughs> I thought she was having a hard day at home, and so I say, mothers, we honor you, and to everybody else, be nice uh, to your mom. Uh, thank you, Susanna. Well, our scripture text today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But I want to start at the end and invite you to read aloud with me the last two verses of that. So if you're able, grab a Bible, stand up. We'll put the words on the screen, but you might want to open up your own Bible on a phone or something. If you're grabbing the Pew Bible, the black book and the rack in front of you there, you can turn to page 984. But go ahead and stand if you're able. And let's read aloud together. And when we're done reading, what I'm going to say is this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it or are trying to believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Wow. Powerful language. You are a chosen race, Peter says to his readers. Now, he uses the word for race. The word for race, it's, it's the Greek word genos. And we know that word because it's in our English word genealogy. Uh, the Greek word means family, race, kind, offspring. You're a chosen race. And, and then when he says you, who, who's the you there? Well, it's the followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, the followers of Jesus Christ. Not one particular race, but a whole new race. People of every race who follow Jesus. Uh, God's new people as Nijay Gupta says, or, or a peculiar people, as the old King James says. See, what Peter's trying to get across to his readers is that those who are rejected by society uh, became a new society that will one day transform society. You, you are a chosen race. Well, Kindred, the six-week experience uh, and more than that, the relationships that we have among three different churches with historic ethnicities coming together to cross lines of ethnicity to really be one church. Kindred began here in 2016. 
It was a work of God. It was the first week of July, and if you can just think back six years, you may remember one of the worst news cycles in recent memory. By the end of the week, four African Americans would be dead, uh, uh, and five police officers dead, uh, all racial violence. And Pastor Aaron at the time was senior pastor at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Uh, I was here, senior pastor here, and Pastor Alex Sway was and is senior pastor uh, or pastor at uh, Evangelical Chinese Church. And we got together in the wake of that shattering news cycle and said, we need a new race, a new people, a new family here in Seattle. And we call it Kindred. Now, we realize we're not alone in struggling against racial violence, uh, but it seems to me that the way we so often address that struggle in the wider culture is by amplifying fear, mobilizing outreach, and, uh, and weaponizing shame. And the problem is when that happens, we end up more dangerously divided after the fact than we were before. So we really raise the question of how do we do this? What's the way? Peter here is offering a different way. And it may be just be that, you know, uh, when your back is against the wall, as Peter and his little communities are in Asia Minor, you don't have the luxury of thinking the way we think about things. Or it may be that Peter genuinely believes that Jesus offers a very radically different way to address racial reconciliation than we are able to conceptualize ourselves, a better way, a constructive way, a way that we can participate in even when we don't have cultural or institutional power. So today I'm wondering, what is that way, the way of Jesus? What might it say to or offer to the way we're trying to bring racial reconciliation in our world today? So let's have a look. Peter's gonna identify, I believe, three gifts for racial reconciliation a peculiar identity, a peculiar family, and a peculiar purpose. Identity, family, purpose. All right, let's look at this. Let's start with a peculiar identity. See, I think Peter is suggesting that a new society begins with a new identity in Christ. And so we read in verse 1 of chapter 2, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander, Here's a new identity, like newborn infants. Ah, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, the best of milk, the Lord. A new identity. You know, today it seems like the more we talk about our problems, the ones that divide us, the more adjectives we start using for ourselves and others. You know, someone says, who are you? And then you say, well, I'm white, male, cisgender, cisgender, heteronormal, progressive, upper middle class, ex-evangelical. Oh, and I like the sounders. And I mean, it's a lot of adjectives, a lot of hyphens. And I don't want to make light at all of the intersecting dynamics that, that create injustice in our world today. But I do want to say this. There's a caution here that we're not going to find reconciliation in identities that we create for ourselves. It's not there. And that's why the apostle Peter says, take off. 
He says, rid yourselves, in verse one there, rid yourselves. Here he's using the Greek word that they would have used for taking off a coat. Take off, take off the old identity. Take that off, throw it aside. You don't need it anymore. There's something in Peter's mind about the old identity that leads us into, whether we realize it or not, malice, listen to the words he uses, guile, deception, insincerity, envy, slender, this is contention. So he says, rid yourself of that, take off the old identity. And here's the insight, our ethnic identities are human creations, aren't they? They're they're socially constructed. Not our identities, those are a gift of God, God creates those, but, but our ethnic our, our, not our, sorry, not our ethnicities. Our ethnicities are a gift from God, but our ethnic identities are the stories that we tell ourselves and others about our ethnicities. They're the things that a newborn baby hasn't ever heard before, right? Peter said, wind them all the way back to that moment before anybody has told you who you are. And now discover a new you in Jesus. Our, our ethnic stories can be harmful. And this is what he's getting at in verse 18 of the prior chapter where he says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors. You were ransomed, purchased, redeemed. Taken. So take that off. That story that you've been told that's been passed down through generations about uh, what it is about you that's less than someone else, what it is about you that's better than someone else. These stories, uh, these ideas, these notions, take them off and toss them at the foot of the cross. Because here's the truth, the follower of Jesus is born into a new identity, this new birth. It's a peculiar identity. And I would put it this way for us today. Here's the identity in a few words. We're sinners saved by grace. We are sinners saved by grace. And if that sounds scary to you, that's wonderful. It should sound wonderful to you. Because that's really who we are when we come to know Jesus Christ. Think about it for a second. No one's worth less than a sinner at the cross of Jesus, where we admit our guilt, where we own the violence that led to Jesus' crucifixion as though we ourselves were the ones driving the nails. We're that desperate. No one's worth less than than someone kneeling at the cross in that way. And, but, no one's better than one who receives grace in that posture Uh, at that same cross, so loved by God, who gave his one and only son, so embraced, ransomed, and sprinkled clean with the precious blood of Jesus. These are the words of Peter. Born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are reserved, who are protected by the power of God. I mean, no one's better than that that's the identity of a sinner saved by grace. Ah, that's a peculiar identity. And that's, that's really what Peter's getting at when he says, you had once not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So just take a moment. Turn to the person on your right or left and tell them you're a sinner saved by grace. Go ahead. Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are. You're a sinner. Even if you're at a stoplight, roll down your window and say to the person, you're a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, now turn it around. T- tell the other person, okay, this is, tell them who they are. I mean, friends, this is a little awkward for us Presbyterians, but it's actually the heart of the gospel. It's really, really good news. We should embrace this identity. I mean, because this identity 
is the beginning of racial reconciliation, this particular identity. I don't know if you caught this. If you were here last week, we had Reverend Mary Bogan from one of our partner churches, our sister church, Damascus International Fellowship, and she shared the word of God with us last week. And, and she talked about growing up in Mendenhall, Mississippi. Now, and she mentioned a name, John Perkins. John Perkins, you know, he's got a, there's a school from over at uh, SPU. John Perkins was on the Ronald Reagan Task Force on Poverty years ago, African-American, uh, beaten within an inch of his life by uh, white police officers down in the South, came to know Jesus Christ, transformed, and then become an agent of rec racial reconciliation for decades in America, uh, piloted a project in Mendenhall, Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, and where I served with him in Southern California. And, she, she, and Reverend Bogan said, you know, when you come down to Mendenhall to volunteer with John Perkins, if you come down thinking you're a good person, if, if that's your mindset, she says, we actually don't need you here. <laughs> Did you, she was very polite. She said it politer than that. But she was saying, basically, we, we really don't need you here. Uh, if that's your sense of identity. And the reason for that is you're coming to serve among people who, as Howard Thurman says, have their backs against the wall. And, and if you don't understand that in some way you, we are all people with our backs against the wall, then we don't need you. We don't need the condescension. We don't need... Uh, your, what's the word I'm looking for? Patronization. And in effect, this is what Jesus is saying when he speaks to Nicodemus, who's one of the religious elites of his day, you know, Nicodemus who had all the right answers. Uh, Jesus says to him, you actually can't be a teacher in Israel to Nicodemus, right? Remember the story? You know all the right things to say. You've got all the right concepts and terminology for reconciliation, but you haven't actually experienced it yourself. You're stuck in the traditions of your ancestors. And then Jesus looks him in the eye and says, you must be born again. You need a new birth. You need a new identity that's born out of an experience of God in me. And this is true for me. This is true for you. It's true for all of us. See, the big danger that I see for those of us who really care about racial reconciliation is that we think that when we've read all the books and we've learned all the terminology and we've posted just the way we should post on social media that we're actually making a difference. No. No, we're not. Racism is not an intellectual problem. It's a spiritual problem. It comes out of the root. And if to confront violence that faces us, if we're going to confront the violence that faces us or that implicates us, then we're going to need a deep experience of Jesus. We're going to need a new birth. We're going to need a whole new identity, an identity that we can stand outside of the traditions that have been handed us culturally, an identity from which we can both appreciate and challenge our ethnic identities in those stories. It's an identity from which we can live out the reconciling power of the living Jesus Christ. See, a peculiar identity. That's the first gift. And, and the second one is a peculiar family. See, Peter's arguing that from those who have a new identity in Christ emerges a new society. Whoa. And here it is. These are the words he uses to describe that new society, new peculiar family. He says, come to him in verse 4 and 5. Come to him, a living stone, talking about Jesus. Though he's rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, okay, that's us. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wow, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. 
This is a peculiar family. I've been reading this book by a young African-American named Andre Henry. And the title of the book is All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep. Wow. All the white friends I couldn't keep. And Andre Henry in this book describes the racial violence of the last few years as a kind of apocalypse. That's the word he uses. And as he's talking about this apocalypse with his friends, particularly his white friends, what he discovers over time is that there's some kind of resistance. He sees it in their eyes. They don't seem to receive his own story about what it means to be a black man in America today. This is pushback. Even his own adopted family, it's a white family that adopts him and he grows up and he loves them, but, but he see, they, they seem not to be able to hear his story. Same with classmates in grad school or employers who hire him as a kind of a diversity hire or so-called allies in the anti-black movement that he's a part of, even his own girlfriends. They hear his story, they question it, they minimize it, they resist it as too political or dismiss the anger that's in him. And so in the book, he raises the question, well, how, how can you be friends with someone who doesn't trust your own story? How's that possible? So one by one, he tells how he has to give up all these friends, all the white friends I couldn't keep. It's very honest. It's, it's very tragic. But St. Peter is offering us something very different. This is a family here where it's safe to tell your story. This is a family of people who the rejection that you experience out there never comes through those doors in here. Because your story and my story and our story, we're all sinners saved by grace. That's our identity. This is the story of God who builds a people out of rejected people. Come to him, Peter says about Jesus. A living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet choice and present, cho- chosen and precious in God's sight. This is Jesus' story. He's saying, come to him. He's the living stone. He's rejected by people. He knows what it's like to be rejected, marginalized, abused. Come to him, he says. And when you come to him, you'll find he is building you up into a living stone also. Now you're a living stone. Your story of being a sinner by grace. And he's going to take you and he's going to put you on on a wall next to some other living stones. Those are the others. And they have their own story. But what draws you all together is this experience of Jesus and a new identity. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, Cappadocian, Bithynian. Remember who he's writing his letter to. He says the very first few lines. This is a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural set of communities. Jesus is the one thing that they have in common. And if you have one thing that's in common, as strong as Jesus is, then everything else can be wonderfully, richly diverse. They all have just one thing in common, and that is a new identity in him. And so Jesus is the one who brings this family together, this peculiar family. He's the cornerstone that tears down walls. Paul also uses the same language of Jesus as a cornerstone. He says he's taken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And Gentile just means nations, ethnicities, nations. Jesus has taken that down and now he's the cornerstone of this whole new community. He's the one who gathers us together. The cornerstone aligns us And the cornerstone directs us and the cornerstone unifies us and the cornerstone in the language of this text builds us up. That's his mission. Somebody was complaining to uh, N.T. Wright, who's the Oxford scholar now, about the so-called new religion of anti-Semitism. 
racism and how it's affecting the church today. And N.T. Wright said, oh, no, 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 there's nothing new about anti-racism. And he writes this great letter, and I want to just read to it. It's a little bit long, but listen to N.T. Wright, who's a scholar in this period of time, the ancient world. He said, this is the three-dimensional, meaning anti-racism is the three-dimensional meaning of justification by faith. All those who believe in Jesus, rescued by his cross and resurrection, and enlivened by his spirit, are part of the new family. This was and is central, not peripheral. The church was the original multicultural project with Jesus as its only point of identity. It was known and was for this reason seen as both attractive and dangerous, as a worship-based, spiritually renewed, multi-ethnic, polychrome, mutually supportive, outward-facing, culturally creative, chastity-celebrating, socially responsive, fictive kinship group, gender-blind in leadership, generous to the poor, and courageous in speaking up for the voiceless. That's who the church in Peter's day was. And that's the church we're called to be as well, a peculiar family. (laughs) We've got a ways to go, right? But this is the family of God where God does the work of reconciliation. And notice Peter never uses the word temple, but the imagery is temple imagery because he's describing now the followers of Jesus as a human temple collectively, a human collective in which God does his reconciling work. That's what the temple was in ancient Israel. It's where you come to be reconciled with God or come to be reconciled with a brother in the community. And, and Peter's saying, and that's what the followers of Jesus are to be today, a, a peculiar family where reconciliation happens and people would come to experience reconciliation. Well, here's the thing. Building a family is hard work. It's hard work. Right, Mom? Come on. Testify. I learned this in New England. I lived and served in New England for many years. And one time our sewer line ruptured and we had to dig it out. And it it crossed uh, this decorative stone wall that was right in front of our house. So, you know, those old quaint New England stone walls. And I thought, I'm going to do it myself. And and I took the wall apart. I should have taken a picture because it was hard work. But you know what was really hard? You're way ahead of me. Putting it back together. There's a real craft and skill, and I know I don't have it. It was an absolute nightmare because these stones are different shapes, they're different sizes, they're different styles, and naturally, they do not fit together at all. (laughs) You see what Peter's getting at here? He's going, man, you need some kind of a carpenter. By the way, Jesus' carpenter probably didn't work with wood as much as he did with stone. He's going to take a chisel to these stones. He's gonna, he, and it's going to be hard. And, and then he's going to lay these stones in against one another where they don't naturally fit. And what does that feel like? What should that feel like for us uh, today? You see, my hope for UPC and my hope for Kindred is that we will learn to make space for others. Other people and other cultures in our space. When I use the word culture, I probably should define that. I like this definition for culture. It's our sense of the way things are done around here, right? The way we do things around here. We're not even really aware of it. It's just what we say. It's normal, so to speak. Everybody thinks that they're normal. But if that's the case, and in this peculiar family, we're going to have to learn how to do things differently around here. We're going to have to seek to negotiate a shared new normal. At some point in a multi-ethnic church, you will always feel uncomfortable about something. 
And the reason for that is you're making space for somebody else to feel comfortable about something. And that's not easy work, but you're building a family. Andre Henry says that anti-blackness is like an accent that you, somewhere along the way you pick it up and you don't even know you have it. It's like an accent. You know, you can't hear your own accent. So I was on a flight one time across the country to New York City and I was sitting next to this delightful young adult. She was from uh, Long Island and she didn't have to tell me that she was from Long, Long Island. I mean, I just heard her offer a cup of coffee and I knew where she was from. And she, we had this great conversation. Two-thirds across the country, over Chicago or something like that, she says to me, you know, kind of lowers her voice and she's sort of friendly. She goes, you have the strongest accent of anybody I've ever met. <laughs> and I'm like, moi? You are kidding me. You are kidding. I, I was nice. I said, oh, really? That's interesting. But I, what I knew is she was wrong. I'm from California where we talk normal. <laughs> right? Someone from Long Island told me I have an accent. Well, Andre Henry says anti-blackness is like that. You, you, don't, you don't even recognize it in yourself. And all of us in our different cultures and perspectives, we have these accents. We can't see it. The only way to discover your own accent is in conversation with somebody else. It's different. And so I, I want to invite us as a church to practice what Rich Viotis calls, Rich Viotis calls incarnational listening. And there are three steps to this. You, number one, you leave your world. Number two, you enter someone else's world. And then number three, you allow yourself to be formed by others. So number one, leave your world. Let go of what's familiar. Take a risk. Step out of your comfort zone. Pastor Aaron said there's no growth in your comfort zone. There's no comfort in your growth zone. So get out of that thing. Take a risk. Leave your world. And then number two, enter somebody else's world and engage in active, humble, curious listening. I tell couples that are getting married, three most powerful words in communication, tell me more, right? Enter into somebody else's world. Tell me about it. What's it like? And then number three, allow yourself to be formed by others. Be open to their worldview while holding on to yourself. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to agree with everything. Hold on to yourself, but enter into their world and open to their, so that they shape and influence you. So when an Andre Henry tells you their story, we need to listen. We need to trust that story. Even if it's not our experience, to hear it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to come to the same conclusions that they come to, but you have to respect it, and I do too. The reason for that is this is how we discover racial wounds. This is how I discover the racial wounds that are in me. Uh, this is how I'll discover them in you. This is how we'll together discover them in the world. So this is, a, this is the work of reconciliation. It's the work of a peculiar family. Well, there's a third gift. I need to move on. Finally, a peculiar purpose. See, those who find a new identity in Christ become a new society that will one day transform society. And there's the purpose. Listen to how Peter says it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is about kings, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You hear in that an echo of the ancient words God spoke to Israel through the prophets when he said, you will be a light to the nations, to all the ethnicities. 
It's his faithfulness to the promise that he had given Abraham, this one family, a normal family, but one family that he chose to become the one family that would bless all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth. Peter's saying, it's now you. <laughs> it's you now. Wow. Through this genos, this new race, every ethnos, every nation will be blessed. Through this multi-ethnic genos, a new race born of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, every ethnos, every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be blessed. God has chosen you to exert his reconciling influence on all people through you. Wow. You could question his judgment. But you got to believe it as surely as you believe in Jesus because this is the plan. This is the story that we're in. It's the story of the Bible. It's God's plan for the church. There is no plan B. It's our purpose. And you were chosen for this. It's a peculiar purpose. Ultimately, Jesus claims and his followers believe God will use the followers of Jesus to change society. And you don't need, by the way, you don't need cultural or institutional power to begin. Peter didn't have it. His readers didn't have it. They lived under the tyranny of the Roman oppression. But what you do need is what Peter calls the marvelous light of Jesus. They had it and you have it. This light shining in broken places of our old identity this light illuminating within this peculiar family, the hard work of reconciliation, this light blaring out into the divided darkness of the world. Imagine for a minute what it was like to travel in the ancient world. Just think for a second. Before there were electric lights and light pollution and all that, what it meant to leave one city behind and journey towards another. It must have been so dark. Maybe there's some stars or something. But... But you travel through the wilderness and dark forests and um, desert. Just imagine that you see on the horizon, wait a minute, there's a little speck of light. Is that? There's, yes, there's some light. You go, what is that out there? Well, it's, it's just a town. It's a little town. And it doesn't take much, right? It might be just one little uh, lamp, a little oil lamp with a wick that's burning. Maybe in a home there are two or three of them and the light's just sort of reflecting off the walls. Windows are cut open and if you had a few of these villages, uh, a few of these houses in a village, then pretty soon you've got scores of lamps and pretty soon there's a hundred burning wicks and you could see it from so far away. I mean, miles away you see that and you know what it does for you? It attracts you. It draws you. It guides you. It gives you hope. Because all of a sudden you think, oh my gosh, that thing that I've been yearning for in the darkness, it actually exists. That real home out there is there and I'm going to eventually get there. We're going to get there. And that's what Jesus meant when he looked at ordinary people like you and me and he said, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. That's what he meant. And friends, you don't need me to tell you how dark it is out there today with the anti-black racism the anti-Asian racism, with growing, rising nationalism, with war of sisters and brothers against sisters and brothers. You know all about that. But I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. We have, as followers of Jesus, what the world most needs right now, what the world is actively looking for right now. We have reconciliation with God and one another. We have peace because we have Jesus. And what's better than that, he has us. Jesus, this is our moment. This is the moment for kindred right now 
2022, I believe that we can be the marvelous light of Jesus. I believe we could be that light for others. I believe we can be that light for the next generation that so desperately yearns to see the church as one. I believe we can be that light to men and women like Andre Henry, who've long since lost hope for anyone to come together across lines of racial difference. If you don't have your own experience of this living Jesus, then I would invite you today, come to him today. Come and be a sinner saved by grace. That's, that's all he asks of you. Come and join us. That's all we ever are. We're, we're not a museum of saints. We're a hospital of sinners, and our intake process is ready. <laughs> we're ready to admit you and do the triage. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, we welcome you, and we're thrilled about that. We want to help you. Come to upc.org Jesus. Or if you're here in, in real life, come and talk to our prayer team after the service and tell them you want to say yes to Jesus. If you haven't found your way yet to participate in Kindred, then come to his multi-ethnic family. Join one of the Kindred groups. Visit one of the Kindred churches. Last week, I went to two churches. You can do that with a live stream now. Uh, come to his multi-ethnic family. And when you arrive, by the way, introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm a part of Kindred. Tell them a little bit about yourself. And by the way, if you're here today from, from one of the other three churches, thank you so much for taking the risk to come and uh, worship Jesus with us. We're glad that you're here today. You and I are part of a miracle. I believe that. Kindred is a miracle. Kindred is the marvelous light of Jesus Christ beginning to shine through three churches in Seattle. Now, it's been six years, and I know it feels like we're just getting started. We have a very long way to go, but nothing gives me more hope than what you're doing right now. I couldn't be prouder of you than I am of you right now. I see you living into a new birth, embracing a new identity in Jesus Christ. I see you practicing incarnational listening in small groups and kindred cultural connections. We had a great time on Wednesday night. If you didn't hear it, be sure and get the recording on that. I see you partnering together in the work of justice as cross lines of church, public health, medicine, education, housing, law enforcement, blessing our city as those who truly know in Jesus what it's like to have our back against the wall. I know it's not easy. <laughs> Last year I was in one of the kindred groups and I said something insensitive and um, I hurt someone's feelings. It was a Zoom call and they just dropped off the call. And I realized, oops, I didn't do that very well. And I'm here to say, I'm very imperfect at this. We're all imperfect at this. Kindred is imperfect at this. You don't have to be perfect about this. The only thing that's perfect around Jesus is Jesus. Right? And so what I see, though, is not perfection, but I see you're trying. You're trying. As hard as the work is, you're trying. As complicated as the issues are, you're working through them. We don't always get it right, but I see you engaging. And so I can say the light is shining. Peter's cheering somewhere. Angels are applauding. God is pleased. And so am I. So am I. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that reconciliation isn't an add-on to the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. That we would be reconciled to God and to one another. That all people, every tribe and tongue, people and nation, will one day gather around the great throne of our great king, the Lion of Judah, who is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> Thank you so much for this gift, this miracle. Thank you for the ability to, to get 
access to it through our experience of kindred. We believe you're leading us. Now we pray again, would you pour out your Holy Spirit to bring your people to life? As you said to Ezekiel, let these bones live. We call forth the wind of God to blow from the four corners of earth to wake us up in resurrection life that we might be your people and the answer to your prayer, Jesus, that we might be one in you. In his name we pray, amen.